Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I've been here with you, and I believe that we have Matt Tiernauer on the line. Matt is the director of Where's My Roy Cohn, which is a, an extraordinary new movie that Louise and I watched a preview of earlier in the week and was just mind-boggling. Matt, give us a summary of this movie. Well, Roy Cohn is the link between Joseph McCarthy and Donald Trump. He was a very, very influential power broker and one of the great kind of dark schemers and sort of mobbed up power figures of mid-century. And how has Donald Trump been informed by his association with Roy Cohn? He is the fully the creation of Roy Cohn. They met in the 70s, and Cohn mentored Trump. And I think people who I interviewed who knew them at the time said that Donald Trump is Roy Cohn, basically. Wow. So when is the movie coming out, and where is the movie coming out? How can people find it? The movie is came out last week. It's in theaters, and it's going across the country right now. So and check uh, your local we listings. Were, absolutely. Do you have a website for it? RoyCohnMovie.com. Roy Cohn, and that's C-O-H-N, RoyCohnMovie.com. Thank you very much for that. And Matt, as I mentioned, Louise and I watched the movie, and first of all, it's a mind-boggling biography of Roy Cohn from, you know, Army McCarthy days, from actually putting to death Julius and Ethel Rosenberg right through this insanely corrupt career of his, and, you know, his association with Donald Trump as well. What can we do with this information? What should Americans, how should we respond to knowing this? The reason I made the movie is to show what self-interested power can do. Mm -hmm. Cohn was a very influential lawyer at a very young age. In his early 20s, he was the prosecutor in the Julius and Ethel Rosenberg spy case. And then J. Edgar Hoover put him at the side of McCarthy, and he really was one of the key figures in the McCarthy witch hunt era. And what he symbolized and what he fomented in U.S. government of the period was the politics of self-interest and demagoguery. 
and McCarthy was the greatest example of that in our modern history until Trump. So it so happens that there's a direct link between McCarthy and Trump, and that is in the form of Roy Cohn. And what does Trump do? And, you know, by the way, Joseph McCarthy never came close to the presidency, that Trump ascended to the presidency through the quirk of the Electoral College is, is a horrific reality. But the self-interested politics of Roy Cohn are embodied by Donald Trump. So the McCarthy era, which is was our darkest modern political moment, if you don't count Watergate, I suppose, is back with us. And Roy Cohn really was the creature, the architect of both of these moments, because right. he was the person who taught Trump everything he knows. In your movie, you point out that when Donald Trump and his dad, when Donald was working for his dad, Fred was still alive and running his little real estate empire, they had been sued by the federal government for refusing to rent housing units to black people, to African-Americans. And Trump turned to Roy Cohn and said, what do we do? And Roy Cohn said, fight them. And they launched this massive battle against the federal government, which essentially ended up in a tie. A, you want to give, you know, fill that in a little bit. And B, how does that inform us about what we should expect from Trump going forward? Newsweek yesterday was reporting that that there are some reports coming out of the White House that some of Trump's people have been trying to negotiate, basically, and we're, nobody's sure who they're negotiating with, but that there's discussion in the White House about Trump cutting a deal where all federal and state prosecutions against him drop. No members of his family will ever be prosecuted. Just let them go back to being New York real estate grifters and we'll give you back your country. And, you know, some people have called into the program saying, wait a minute, you know, if, if you don't nail this guy, you know, the next guy's going to be even worse. But how does that deal that Trump, you know, where he got busted for discrimination, how does that inform how he's behaving now? And what should that tell us about what we might expect? Yes, well, I think, again, one of the reasons I made the movie is if you look at the Roy Cohn playbook, you'll understand and almost have a crystal ball into the way Trump's going to behave. What you just outlined about this kind of backroom bargaining that's going on to cut deals is exactly out of the Cohn playbook. The other principle of Cohn is when you are in a flaming defeat, claim victory, and then figure out another way to confuse the conversation and throw out misinformation and basically demagogue the issue. Going back to the kind of meet-cute moment of Cohn and Trump in the 70s around a housing discrimination suit that the Justice Department had brought against Donald Trump and his father, Fred Trump. This has been widely reported. It's one of the more appalling things in Trump's racist past. They were at the Trump Organization denying apartments to people of color. When they would go in to meet with rental agents, they would mark the application with a C for colored, and then they would basically throw it out or throw it in the bottom drawer. The uh, Justice Department rightfully went after them. Trump engaged Roy Cohn to defend him and his father, and Cohn uh, did a brilliant thing using his bare-knuckle kind of mob lawyer tactics. He told them to countersue the Justice Department for $100 million. Absurd. The counterclaim was dismissed, of course, but it threw the opponent off balance. And eventually there was a settlement with no admission of guilt, which Trump has paraded out over the decades, saying that there was no admission of guilt. He claimed victory would 
for what was a, a defeat, but Cohen had done a good job of defending him by using these bully mob attorney tactics, which Trump has adopted and deployed ever since. You see it in the events of last week, all of these diversionary tactics, throwing Mike Pence under the bus, moving toward throwing Giuliani and Barr under the bus if necessary. I would predict that you're going to see that. As Trump becomes more cornered, he'll try to sacrifice everyone around him until he's the last man standing. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty impressive stuff. And uh, the, the movie is Where's My Roy Cohn? It is in theaters all across the United States right now. Check your local listings. And if you don't, and it's not in a theater near you, call them up and ask them when it's coming. And Matt Tiernauer, am I saying your name right, Matt? You got it. Thank okay. you. Matt, thanks so much for dropping by today. It's, it's great talking with you. It was an amazing movie to watch. I strongly, highly, emphatically recommend it to everybody. And I wish you the very best. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thank you. Great talking to you. And welcome back live from Chicago. We're in the uh, Union Hall here of Smart 265, the sheet metal workers. Um, we have John Daniel, business manager, Jim Allen, the president of the Bricklayers, and Louis Cairo, Luke Cairo. Tell us about apprenticeships. Let's and what the unions have been doing for years and years. I mean, I, you know, my dad worked in a union shop, and we've had this conversation before. And in fact, one of my brothers started, at least, going through an apprenticeship as a tool and die maker. He didn't finish it out and sure. ended up uh, in the IBEW instead. But, you know, I've seen these things. I've seen them in my own family. It's somebody with a high school diploma can come in and after a year or two years or three years or whatever, become a journeyman and have a good, solid pay and a union job. What's the status of this? I know the Labor Department, the Federal Department of Labor, actually regulates at a certain level how this stuff all works. What's sure. going on? So currently the Department of Labor has oversight over accredited apprenticeship programs. So let me slow down just a little bit on the mm. definition of apprenticeship programs. So apprenticeship programs are a, a jointly administered labor and management trust fund. The members and the contractors, when we negotiate our wages and benefits, at some point the members will take a deferral from their what could be put on their check and they invest into a training program. So the building that we're here today, we're a 28,000 square foot building, and the majority of this building is for training, and it's private dollars that our members have deferred to invest into our own future. It's kind of a pay it forward thing. Absolutely. It's, it's the right thing to do. Who better can train us on how to do what we do than ourselves? And we invest in ourselves privately with deferred wages so that we can protect who we are and pass our skills on to, to my kids and, and our members' kids and anyone else that wants to be part of our organization. So our current program, and it's not dissimilar from the majority of them, we have a five-year apprenticeship program. So our apprentices come in. They come in for a solid week, 40 hours straight, once every 10 weeks. So it's a, they come in five times per year. The other nine weeks that they're not in school, they're on the job. That's where 90% of their training comes from is on-the-job training. So we have mentors on the job site, people that have been through the apprenticeship program, people that carry the tools, that have been through OSHA training for safety, that really have been given the skill set to be a productive employee so the employer can go out and make more money. All right, that's the deal that we have with them. That's the agreement, the relationship that we have with our employers. So they come to school for five years, and when they turn out, become a journey person. We're rebranding the journeyman name because we're trying to be more inclusive as an organization. So when you turn out as a journey person, you have the skills to survive 
and provide for your family in a transient workforce. Now, a lot of people don't understand when I say a transient workforce. So you may work for XYZ contractor today, and maybe that contractor starts to slow down because another contractor has a more competitive bid to build the next building. Well, I really don't care who gets the next building as long as one of our signatory employers, and we're going to provide them the workforce to do the next job. So through that transient workforce, we provide the nucleus of a human resource piece for our contractor group. So we maintain our health and welfare for our membership. Regardless of who they work for, we're that human resource branch of a contractor to create a stable workforce with security and a long-term plan on how to provide for their families. And what's the deal now, particularly with uh, Mr. Scalia's son coming out of the Labor Department? <laughs> so one of the, uh, the, the slicker attacks, I suppose, and they're trying to undermine the oversight of the Department of Labor. So they come in and audit us annually. They make sure that we're recruiting to disenfranchised areas where we have a certain percentage of minorities. We don't handpick and cherry-pick who's entered into our program. There's all kinds of regulations and rules that we have to abide by, and they've created this society of organizations labor that we have today. And we've invested millions and millions of dollars into our training and making sure that we follow these guidelines uh, so that we have a, a solid, safe, skilled, trained workforce when they go out on the job site. The federal government, the Department of Labor, I would say Donald Trump, but has uh, decided that we're going to, let's look at the idea of shifting the oversight from the Department of Labor who manages our infrastructure now, and let's just give it to industry. Let's just say that uh, XYZ contractor, you're in the industry, why don't you have oversight over the apprenticeship program and undercut everything that we've done for this local, our international was established in 1888. So for North of 100 years, we've had this Department of Labor oversight. We've built this integrity, and just in a stroke of a pen, they want to change that oversight from the Department of Labor that makes sure that we market correctly, we train correctly, we meet these standards so that you can say that you are a qualified sheet metal worker. Just give it to the employer because the employer is going to do the right thing to make sure that their employees can establish a quality Don't of they life. always? Yeah, yeah so <laughs> it, it's a slick way to do it. That period has stopped. The comment section for uh, the IRAP has ended. We're expecting to hear something from the Department of Labor sometime in December or January, so it's a wait and see at this point. Can I add one, one thing? That John, John, not a dime of taxpayer money goes into any of our programs, which is amazing. People think that the taxpayers pay for them. Not a dime goes into any of our programs. Thank you. Uh, John Daniel, Jamel from Chicago. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Is your head hurting from banging it against the wall as you hear about all this stuff going on with our president? Well, New Leaf Natural CBD oil might help. CBD oil is non-intoxicating, which makes it ideal for people seeking the health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. It's non-toxic CBD and has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. And the brand I trust is New Leaf Naturals. And New Leaf Naturals. It's the highest quality CBD oil on the market, 100% organic, highly concentrated, no additional additives, grown right here in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp. So the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com. That's N-U-Leafnaturals.com and save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to N-U-Leafnaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. There's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. That's newleafnaturals.com. That's N-U-Leafnaturals.com. Code Tom. It's spelled T-H-O-M. Newleafnaturals.com. Here in Chicago, 
Whoop. There we go. And uh, question from you. Yeah, it's, um, I got some information. I don't remember where it came from when we were talking about this case uh, with the IRS trying to get his records. Right. That that already went to federal court. And it was one of the judges heard the case that Trump put on the bench, said they're going to delay it until after the election. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, I, you, you know, guys, I may I th- be wrong, but you could check it out. Yeah. See if I'm uh, you know, my understanding is that Donald Trump has now appointed more federal judges than any president in the history of the republic. And I think that the reason why they keep trying to kick things into the federal court system and ultimately to the Supreme Court is because he thinks they've got his backside covered. So Exactly. Yeah. Uh, my other uh, comment or question is we need to educate people out there. Part of the problem with all of this is most of the public isn't educated. Now we have a progressive radio station that's putting this on. We go to Florida, we can't get a progressive radio station. We can't get one in Georgia. We can't get one in Tennessee. Now we got Republicans out there. Mitt Romney, for example, went out and bought up 121, I believe, Radio stations. No, that was Clear Channel was bought by Bain Capital, Mitt yeah. Romney's company. At the time, they owned yeah. over 900 radio stations. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why can't we convince some of these Democratic billionaires like Tom Sires? I wrote an op-ed specifically addressing to Tom Steyer and okay. saying, you know, why don't you consider doing this? Now, yeah. I, I just don't think he's that rich. But uh, the fact <laughs> of the matter is that the Republicans have built a very formidable uh, exactly. right-wing infrastructure, and it's a Until solid one. Thank, thank you for the call. I, I want to get to, to um, uh, IRAPs. This, uh, I, I want to just shift uh, rather suddenly, I suppose, but to <laughs> labor, because I think this is a piece of this whole thing. We are, we being working people in the United States, um, we are subject to a, a war on labor that Ronald Reagan declared, uh, you know, out front, right in front of all of us back in, in uh, 1981 when he fired the PATCO workers and then continued. And he was basically following on what Margaret Thatcher had done in 78 or actually early 79 when she became prime minister. And she fired the uh, or broke up the coal miners union in the UK, which was the strongest union, arguably one of the strongest unions in, in the whole world. And uh, she succeeded, and, and, and Reagan thought, okay, we're going to follow that, that playbook. And um, the way that people are designated as employees or not employees is actually a big deal. It's a huge deal. And with, with Trump trying to put uh, Antonin Scalia's son on the, on the head of the Labor Department, I mean, the, the, frankly, I think this is an impeachable offense. But, but John, you really, John Daniel, the uh, business manager for Smart 265, you, you know a lot about this stuff. You want to break this down in plain English that uh, everybody can understand? The IRAP specifically, I, we can talk about for sure. So the IRAP... Oh, is, that, that is mis... Maybe I'm... You, yeah, I don't have my acronym. Yeah, right. so okay. you talked a little bit about misclassification. Misclassification, yeah. Sure, that, and then the IRAPs is a different... Uh, it's all labor, right? Okay. And it's all yeah. an attack I'm on sorry, labor I, collectively. Yeah. So we'll peel them back a little bit separately. So let's so, talk about misclassification first. So misclassification of workers. Um, typically, in a, in a traditional, um, real business, you have employees, right? You have people that come, they fill out a W-2, they fill out applications, they're, they're a taxable employee that, that uh, you should take care of, provide insurance for, and, and a fair wage, but you're, you're taxed, you're an employee, you pay workers' comp, you pay unemployment insurance, federal taxes, Social Security, Medicare, and so on. Uh, what happens in a misclassification environment is 
uh, an, a legitimate employer that's competing against a non-legitimate employer. A non-legitimate employer uh, may do the same business, let's say the sheet metal industry that I'm in. So I've got a legitimate company that has employees that's competing against an illegitimate company that, that hires subcontractors. So from, from the public perspective, they, they all look, both companies look like they have employees. They show up in work shirts that identify them as employees of the company. They do the same <coughs> tasks on the directive of the owner, uh, and they get, they get paid. And the difference between a legitimate company that pays taxes, Medicare, Social Security, workers' comp, all of the infrastructure that, that it takes to survive in our society, compared to the, the, the non-legitimate employer, is the non-legitimate employer 1099s all of its employees. He, he identifies them as a subcontractor, and, and that, that's, that's illegal. It's, it's unethical. It's against the law. Uh, just by identifying your employees as a 1099 employee, um, even though they're, they're working on your, under your directive, there's a 30% savings right off the top by 1099 them, by identifying them as an independent contractor. So it's a huge problem throughout, throughout the country. Uh, it, it's becoming more relevant in the state of Illinois. I believe uh, the, the southern states, Texas, some of the rural areas, it's not uncommon for an illegitimate contractor to drive by the hardware store in the morning. I need uh, six of you. You look kind of strong. We're going to lay some brick today, jump in the truck. You're my employees. Put this shirt on. I'm going to give you a check for 100 bucks a day, and I'm going to 1099 you at the end of the, at the end of the year. And, and that's the problem that uh, Building Trades collectively with misclassification of workers is trying to uh, yeah. fight. And, and Jim Allen, you've got experience with this. I want to I want to get to you on yeah, the other side of this break, break yeah, here and we'll talk right. about that. And then we'll get back to IRAPS um, as, as I I need to learn my labor acronyms. I'm sorry <laughs> here, John. Uh, John Daniel, Jim Allen, Luke Cairo, Tom Hartman here with you live from Chicago. We're at the Smart 265's Union Hall for WCPT. We'll be right back. I do want to get to the apprenticeship program. We'll get back to John John Daniel on this. But Jim Allen, you're, you're the uh, president of the bricklayers basically here. And this is a big deal for you guys. Uh, an employer, uh, you know, the, the law says that if somebody works for you and you control where they work, when they work, the conditions of their work, it, you have the ability to uh, basically punish them if they don't do it right or reward them if they do it well, you compensate them. They are an employee. Right. They are not an independent contractor. It's not like I just, you know, called up the local plumbing company and said, come out and fix the thermostat in my house. That's, that's hiring a contractor. Yeah. But, but if, if I hired somebody to, if I had a really fancy house and I hired somebody to work in my house every day all year long making sure my plumbing worked, he would be an employee. And, and uh, this misclassification is being used to basically rip off workers and enrich employers. You want to you give that, us more that's detail exactly on that? exactly it. You gave the exact definition of what an employee is. So what the criminal contractor, and I call them criminals because that's what they are, they will say, let's say I got 40 employees. I bring in 40 guys. I tell them, well, what's your Social Security number? A lot of them are illegal, even if they're not. They give me a phony Social Security number. I'm covered. That's what he gave me, right? So then they go to work. They work uh, 52 weeks out of the year, and I give them a W-2, or I'm sorry, a 1099 for maybe 80, 90, maybe even $100,000. You know what they pay into the government? Nothing, because it's a phony Social Security they gave anyway, so no one's going to come and get you. So they go and work and make $100,000, undermine every legitimate contractor, whether you're union or non-union. They're undermining them by at least 30%, and they're stealing the work from everybody that legit. Everyone in this room, myself included at the panel, we all pay taxes. 
These people don't. They're all misclassified. So what do they do next year? They walk in, give them another phony Social Security number. Play the game over and over. Uh, the bricklayers actually got a lot of documentation from guys that used to do this, and then they became union. We went to the IRS. We gave them testimony after testimony files. And you know, it, it wasn't just paper chase. It was very documented stuff with their, with their 1099s uh, about different contractors. They never did a thing. I arrested nothing, and that was 10 years ago. We had a big article that was written about it in the Sun-Times in 2009. That's how long ago it was. Wow. And we do have misclassification rules uh, that actually Blagojevich, that's how far it was, that he passed, <clears throat> or we got it passed, and he signed it into law, but nothing's been done now. Uh, we do have uh, a new attorney general, and we are going to work closely with him. He's promised to do something about this it. This is in Illinois. In Illinois, Kwame Raul is the attorney general. So is this principally a, a state-level problem or a federal problem? <laughs> well, you know what? It's, it's federal because you're not getting any taxes from the federal, the state, or anything. But this is uh, U.S.-wide. It's every state. We can, I can go to every state in the, in the country, and this is what they're doing. And it's a huge problem, and uh, and it's killing our contractors because we cannot we not if I was a non-union contractor, I still can't compete because I'm paying workman's comp and social security and unemployment, all the stuff that every legitimate contractor takes on all of us. These people get away with it. So, and it's not even just you know some full-time worker who's making a hundred grand. It it could be somebody who's working for for three or four months. Oh, yeah, and, right. and 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 walking away with ten grand. Right, exactly. And, you know, but still, it's you know. Yeah, it doesn't matter how long. I'm just guessing that if they're working fifty-two weeks out of the year, uh, they might be making you know seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars. So uh, it's really the, and I used to say it, every day you go by and someone's robbing the bank and you see it and they're all walking out with the money, you call the police and they just drive by and don't do a thing. That's what's been going on with misclassification. Nobody has done a thing in Springfield or the rest of the country. And it's, and it's criminal and it's cost, they've done studies. It's costing hundreds of millions of dollars in tax revenue. Yeah. And obviously in the state of Illinois, we could use some tax revenue. I'm going to pass the hat around the audience a little later. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we definitely need that. You know? Yeah. So, Lou, as the lawyer here, if, if uh, an employer is misclassifying their employees and saying that they're and, – and, and, by the way, for people who, uh, you know, as a frame to understand this, this is the big battle around Google – or not Google, uh, uh, Uber. Right Uber. Uh, is Uber is saying that the people who drive for them are actually not employees – and yet, you know, both federal labor law and the labor law of most states says that, you know, if you can tell somebody when and where to work, and they, they say we're getting around this because they can clock on and clock off whenever they want. But that, you know, that's a very fine distinction. And California is trying to close that loophole right now. Um, but this is not just Uber. I mean, this is this and not just bricklayers. This is right across the country. Yeah. How, what is the process? For holding people accountable, what kind of penalties are, are, are available for this? Well, here, here's here's the problem, and it, it, I see this a ton in the trucking industry. I mean, you see these big trucks going down the street, big 18 wheelers. They've got 50,000 pounds of cargo in there. Uh, if you stop the trucker and you have a conversation with them, half the time they don't speak English. They don't have a, social, a real social security card. They do not work for the company whose name's all over the site. Of the, of the vehicle. I've got a case where an 83-year-old woman was walking across the street, broad daylight, guy had made a left-hand turn, ran her over, dragged her half a block, killed her. Ouch. He's driving one of those big Amazon vans. It's two days before Christmas, and he's got a, he's got a, a, a deadline to meet, okay, because he's got to deliver all I mean, these. this is literally Amazon. This, this is a, well, 
it's an it's a van that says Amazon on it. On the side. Okay? okay, and all he does is delivers Amazon packages. We are now two and a half years into litigation, and we are flying in people from Amazon. And they're giving depths, and they are saying their their mantra is, and the law supports them. You know, in terms of what they're saying is these people are just independent contractors. They don't work for us. I mean, they can they can do whatever they want to do. We say they have to have a van like this. We say they have to put our Amazon sign on it, and we give them the sign to put on there. They give it, so they, they have all the control in the world. And, that, and that's the, the legal threshold, is if you have an indicia of control, where you control the means, the manners, the methods of their employment, you provide them with the tools, the equipment, you give them the, the supervision, then you're an employer. I don't really care what you have them sign. Okay? So you can become the employer. And we will prove that this individual was, quote unquote, an employee, or at least had a sufficient indicia of control by Amazon. We, I, I'm pretty confident we'll prevail in this regard. Um, but it happens in I mean, 18 wheelers. We always get these people. They're from Czechoslovakia, they're from Bosnia, they're from uh, these Middle Eastern countries, or Eastern European countries, rather. And they're, I mean, people are getting destroyed by these the vehicles, and they have to have a million dollar policy. And that's all they have. Now you think, well, you see FedEx. I mean, money's not an issue. UPS, money's not an issue, right? Because I don't care what their policy is. These are these are billion dollar corporations. You see a semi go down the street with a beautiful sign, and it said whatever the sign on the, si- the side of it is. There's no assets. It's literally that truck driver's truck that he leases. He lives. He has so no money. The, so if you're the just to make this clear, if I'm the victim of somebody who's not a legal employee whether they build my house in a way that it falls apart or whether they drove me, ran over me with a truck, really the only person I can sue is that individual. That individual. may well be judgment-proof right. and I get nothing. You have no recourse whereas, against an whereas, employer. Whereas if they were the actual employee, which they should be by law, then I could go back against the, their employer who They're put, responsible them, in this, who put is, them in that circumstance. Right. They're, the, the individual driver or operator is responsible as well as the corporation he's working for. And that's where you get... You get corporate responsibility rather than so how do you we got about 15 seconds before we hit a break how do you think this is going to play out are are there is there an effort to change these laws or to strengthen they've they've been they've been doing it for years and they'll continue to do it for years whatever if they can get away with it they're going to get away with it yeah this is corporate america at its worst yep it really is um i want to get into apprenticeships also the you know one of the really cool things that labor provides um, all across the country is the ability to get into a into a workplace, work your way up through the workplace, and get skills. We're going to talk about that uh, with John Daniel, the business manager of Smart Local 265, in just a minute. It's the Tom Hartman program. We're live from Chicago. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. A lot of people like to get away just after the holidays and maybe take a vacation, maybe go scuba diving, take a cruise. Nice time to lose weight in anticipation of that, right? Uh, try Ridges Zone. Ridges Zone, Louise told me about this. She said once her appetite and cravings, she tried it out about a year ago, and she said once her appetite and cravings were under control, losing weight was easy, and she's kept it off. My producer, Sean, was so impressed with Louise's results that she's trying Ridges Zone, too. Sean wants to lose a little weight before the holidays, and she says Ridges Zone is the easiest diet supplement she's ever used. One capsule with breakfast, and that's it. No jitters, no hunger, no wild food cravings. Sean says meals are no longer a battle not to overeat. She feels full faster and has reduced portion sizes accordingly. Also says she feels full longer, so no more grazing between meals either. The only ingredient in Ridgizone occurs naturally in the body and is completely non-stimulant. That really appealed to both Louise and Sean. Listen, if you're looking to lose weight this season, 
I strongly suggest you give non-prescription Regizone a try. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and get up to 65% off plus free shipping. Go to Riduzone.com. It's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. R-I-D-U-Zone.com. Riduzone.com. Promo code TOM, T-H-O-M. Riduzone.com. So we have a person with a question here. Uh, hi. Hi. My name is Barb Lloyd. I actually am working with a group that's trying to change independent contractor status with Uber and Lyft. We're working with the state and the city to come up with something similar to AB5 in California. Um, our statistics are showing across the country that it's about 40% of the labor force right now fits into that independent or misclassified worker. Whoa. And within the next 10 years, we're looking at 60 to 75% across all corporations. And so I, I guess my question for you in the labor movement is, are you also approaching the governors across the country trying to get this changed? Because these companies, Uber is here now attacking trucking, service industry labor, um, they're also going to get into replacement labor for job sites it all across the way. And this is, you know, they pay really well up front and then screw the workers on the follow-up. Jim? Yeah, you know what, they, they, I just had a meeting. This, this is Jim Allen, Bricklayer's president. Um, they, we had a meeting uh, with our international, uh, and uh, New Jersey got up and talked about a new law that they do have in New Jersey that the governor just signed where they actually will walk into an employer's office and if he can't prove that those construction workers are being paid correctly, not, not that they're in union or non-union, but whether they're taking out the, uh, the uh, Social Security unemployment, uh, they will shut the job down. And when you throw those numbers out that you just throw out, think about, everyone talks about Social Security, underfunding of Social Security. Look at all those hours that nobody gets Social Security paid into on all these criminal employers. And it's, and it's mind-boggling. If you added it up, it's millions and millions of dollars that should be going into Social Security, just that alone, and we should all be worried about that. If wow. I can add one thing in that time, in okay. addition to the fact, Jimmy, that Social Security is not getting the hundreds of millions of dollars that they should be getting for contributions for the labor, when those individuals get hurt, or well, first of all, when they're not working, they don't get unemployment compensation, so how do they support their families? Uh, and if they get hurt, they don't get workers' compensation, so they go on the public aid system or on the Medicare system. So not only are our tax dollars being lost in the Social Security yes. Department, our, our tax dollars are being expended more rapidly in Medicare and in, in, uh, in public aid assistance because these people have no insurance. These employers don't provide health insurance for them. You don't get your rights under the Illinois Workers' Compensation Act or whatever state you're in. So really the government, our ta us as taxpayers, we get whacked on both ends. Yeah, we had one of our uh, contractors that was non-union. The guy actually fell off the scaffold. They wouldn't call an ambulance. They dragged him, put him off, off the property, and called one of his friends and said, come and get your guy. Yeah, and that yeah. really happens. And then we were on the job site. And they, you know, they, they didn't speak English. We have Polish interpreters and organizers, so they knew what happened, but they actually dragged him off the job site just so that, you know, because he's, he's not insured. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and presumably then he also doesn't have workman's comp. No, he's got nothing. Yeah. And, and if this is 40%, if her number is right, if this yeah, is 40% of our workforce, that's not hundreds of millions. That's, that's yeah. tens to hundreds of billions of dollars yeah. and going into Social Security, into Medicare, that is hurting the entire system, weakening the entire right. system. Tell me, you, you said corporate state, and, and I really think that, that definition, that phrase, that, that really defines the problem. I think we've got to take some of these employers that are, that are manipulating our immigration system, that are bringing these uh, desperate people to, to increase their quality of life, and uh, we need to lock some of those people up. Yeah, go after the employers. Yeah, it, this is, it's, so, it's so sad that we're going after the employers. David Axelrod just tweeted, this is interesting, this is changing the race, and, and uh, you know, David Axelrod is no neophyte to politics, he basically made, or helped make Barack Obama president, uh, obviously Barack Obama made Barack Obama president, but uh, David Axelrod played a very, very large role in that. And he just tweeted out, it's, it's reported that $24.6 million was the amount of money that Elizabeth Warren raised in the third quarter of this year. Um, that's huge. And he tweeted uh, a story from Politico about that. Uh, and his comment was big dollar number for E. Warren, for at E. Warren, for Elizabeth Warren, continuing her role. Long way to go, but you put all the evidence together, polling, organization, messaging, and enthusiasm. You'd have to say she is now the front runner to win the Democratic nomination. I, you know, I think that's great news to have a, a real progressive, a serious progressive who, who is now in the front runner position. I, I'm curious, uh, my panelists, your thoughts on the current lineup of Democrats. I mean, I, I am right up front saying, I, you know, I love uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. They're solid progressives, but I will work my butt off for Joe Biden or Amy Klobuchar or anybody else. Regardless, you know, <laughs> vote blue no matter who, whoever gets the nomination. Um, but, but that said, um, you know, Lou, Lou Cairo, what your thoughts on the current Democratic field? You know, I just wish the Democrats would get together and figure out who they, who's the best candidate to beat Trump and just go from there because we're spending so much time and so much money and so much distraction about, you know, a dozen guys and women that are fighting each other. And Oh, I'd like to see them set the threshold at 5% in the polls to be in the debates. I mean, we, we'd be down to four people. Right, right. Because, because really we should be concentrating on, they should be concentrating their efforts on attacking Trump, not attacking each other. Because yeah. all they're doing is they're, they're, giving, they're giving Trump's, people a portfolio of things, of truthful things, apparently, that he can use against them. He'll use all the lies in the world when he when actually gets down to the presidential elections. But they're giving him a lot. A lot he is, they are giving Trump's people a lot of stuff to pick on whoever that candidate is going to be. And it's just, it's, watching the debates, it's a circus. I mean, yeah. it's really it's a hand. shame. On the other hand, the same thing happened four years ago, and there's a Republican in the White House. So it didn't turn out as a disaster. But I get your point, and I agree with it. John, your thoughts. Uh, uh, John Daniel, the business manager here at Smart Local. I think the sooner I think the sooner we get it whittled down to one, two, three uh, primary people that that we can really hear their issues and their voice and and they're talking at what's going to affect change in the middle class, um, the better we're going to be. Because frankly, uh, most of the peer group I speak with, just from Trump's tweets and news, he's on he's on. He's on the news every day, right? Mm -hmm. It used to be when I was growing up, you see the president give uh, the State of the Union. And then maybe there was something happening, world crisis, where the president would come up. Now the president comes up, he's, like the, he's on a daily show, right? He's um, a reality star. Absolutely. He's running a reality show out of the White House. But what that equals is people turn it off. And then when we have 20 candidates running for the Democratic primary, people turn it off. And, and they think that 
you know, it's just too much white noise as I'm trying to provide for my family, I'm trying to raise my family, and I'm, and I'm doing all this stuff. I just, I'm tired, it gets heavy. It's a lot of water to carry, so uh, to lose point. The sooner we get the field narrowed, uh, the better we can talk about policy that's gonna affect change in, in our country, and um, I think it's gonna, it's gonna be a fun race. Cool, and we'll get your opinion right after the break, all right? All right, <laughs> Jim. We'll be right back. We're live from Chicago here uh, with WCPT. Stick with us. So here on the program recently, we had a, a fascinating conversation with Professor Richard Wolf about how banks have to keep basically 10% in reserve in case there's a run on the bank. Everybody wants their deposits back. You know, the banks can lend out 90%, but they have to keep that 10% so they can pay you, you know, give you your money back if you want it. Fannie and Freddie have a similar requirement um, in case mortgages go south. Mortgages did go south in 2008. Fannie and Freddie couldn't cover the the shortfall and as a result they collapsed and we you and i had to pay 190 billion dollars to bail them out well back then their reserve requirement was 45 cents on a hundred dollars now it's 19 cents on a hundred dollars our special members only riff you can find over at tomhartman.com is all about this what it means where it could go and what we can do about it. So check it out at TomHartman.com. Uh, welcome back. Welcome back from Chicago. We were just talking about the uh, Democratic field. Uh, David Axelrod tweeting that, uh, in his opinion, and of course it's just one man's opinion, although he's a, a well-respected uh, leader in the Democratic Party, or, or a consultant, whatever, he's never been elected to anything, but you know, help help make uh, Barack Obama president. Uh, he points out that Elizabeth Warren just want, just uh, raised almost $25 million in the third quarter. I know Bernie's numbers were in that neighborhood too, very strong numbers. Um, he says, big number for Warren continuing her role, and bottom line, he says, you'd have to say she is now the front runner to win the Democratic nomination. Um, I, I was soliciting opinions on the Democratic field here. We've been talking about elections. We just heard from some really great candidates. Um, uh, Jim Allen, president of the uh, Bricklayers, your thoughts on the Democratic field? Um, yeah, actually, I do like Elizabeth Warren, um, but I, you know, I like I like a lot of the candidates there. Like everyone says, it, it would be nice to have it down to a few, so you could really get into an interesting debate. But you know what? I vote, and my family votes the union wallet. That's all we we look at who's who's back in unions, and that's who I back. I don't really care about anything else. Unions, union, unions. I don't care about abortions. I don't care about the color of anyone's skin. I care about the unions, and that's what I try to promote with my. Uh, union people to get them to vote the right way to keep the union stronger because the middle class is the unions when the unions are gone middle class is gone and we've all seen that since reagan and i know the man to my right here talks about it constantly that reagan was the beginning of the end for the middle class and uh but i'll be honest with you if it was down to uh donald trump and spongebob squarepants spongebob would have my vote <laughs> there you go. amen vote blue no matter who there you go um, we have a question from the audience. Hi, Tom. Um, my name is John. I'm a retired 
smart local 265 member and something that <laughs> thanks yeah it's good to be retired um, uh, something that Jim Allen mentioned before uh, caught my attention when he mentioned that 50 to 60 percent of our members probably voted for Trump hmm. and I thought to myself you know how can that be and then I started thinking well the guy who comes home from work and takes off his work boots and puts his hard hat away probably doesn't think any of these people know what he what he needs what he wants they don't really care about him and that guy is probably our member that voted for Trump because he thought elections really don't have any consequences they're all the same what's the difference it, it's a challenge to labor leaders like John who's my business manager and Jim Allen and everybody else to contact those members and let them know that the elections do have consequences and one of them I'd like you guys to comment on if you could would be the Janus decision the worst piece of anti-union legislation to come along in 70 years. Why? Because we have Donald Trump, who appointed a conservative Supreme Court. And why did that happen? Because we had a conservative governor in the state who filed suit on behalf of some guy named Janice. And it changed the world as far as organized labor went. And I think our members need to know that. So that's my challenge. And if you guys could speak on it, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, who wants to speak to Janice? I think I, even though it's, it's a legal thing, I think that, I think John and I talked about it earlier. John knows it very John, well. John, go for it. If you, or, or, that was a nice setup, Lou. No. <laughs> uh, you, you can, by the way, you can read about it in my book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. And if you go to TomHarbin.com/labor.pdf, there is an entire chapter from my book on the Supreme Court that goes through every Supreme Court decision since the 1930s that directly impacted labor. Uh, right up to and through Janice. Go for it. Well, I, I like to think John, the retired uh, 265 member that, that stood up and spoke, and he, he makes a great point. Not only is he a retired member, he's one of my mentors, former business manager, local 265, so thank you for being here. Um, the Janice Act, so if he, he said it exactly. Elections have consequences. The, Illinois is a, is a blue state. You know, they villainize Illinois across the Republican platform as we're a stronghold for organized labor. But yet the Janus came out of uh, 15 miles to the northwest of here, and our, go our previous governor is the one that filed suit. Um, Janus basically, no, it did make public sector unions right to work. All right. And if you don't believe right that, to work for less, right yeah. to work for less. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and if you don't know what that means, that's not a pro labor legislation. I know I talked to my family lives in Missouri and, and, and they'll run flags saying I'm supporting my my son, my cousin, who's a labor leader because right to work. Everyone's got the right to work. The, the, the entire spin on what right to work is, it's disgusting. All right. They're really good at marketing. We need to do a better job messaging and making sure that our members, our neighbors, our kids, our family know that elections have consequences. If you don't believe it, uh, the Janus decision in itself wiped out 70 years of legislation that protected um, organized labor and the voice in the workforce in a public sector union. If you don't believe private sectors aren't under attack, you got to get your head out of, out of the dirt, out of the sand and pay attention because there's a huge push for national right to work. And if we don't get to the polls, if we don't make the right decisions to protect ourselves and our families, our pensions are, are, are going to be, there's going to be huge talk about our pensions coming up with the PPGC. Um, if you haven't heard about it yet, it's going to be loud and clear in the news over the next uh, months, all right? Um, we have to take action. 
We have to protect ourselves. No one up the food chain politically is going to protect us like we can protect ourselves. So get the message out. If you're listening to this and you're part of organized labor, if you've got a family that's part of organized labor, if you want to be part of organized labor, reach out to an organizer, a union in your area, get engaged. We, we have to change policy from, from the gra- grassroots all the way up. Yeah, and this is a crime that was committed by the Supreme Court, and they did it because we had Republican presidents and a Republican Senate that, that fixed the court basically the way it it's is. Disgusting. Yeah, it really is. We'll be back with more live from Chicago here on WCPT. Tom Hartman program. So picture your face in the mirror. See all those wrinkles around your eyes, crow's feet, under eye bags. Now imagine they're gone. I'm not talking about some risky, expensive surgery. Just gone in minutes. It's called Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the edge you've been looking for. Don't believe it? I didn't either until I tried it. Now I don't have to imagine anymore. I look like me just 10 years younger. Simply put, I'm blown away by the results. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to be yourself at work or out with friends. The best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will know you're using it. Go to Plexiderm, go to, excuse me, go to triplexiderm.com and use my code TOM, T-H-O-M, for 50% off plus an additional 10 bucks off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code TOM. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com. Um, there is breaking news, though. Mitt Romney, this uh, speaks to the conversation that we had in the last hour about yeah, what's yeah, going to happen yeah. when the Republicans start jumping ship. Mitt Romney just tweeted this. It was two tweets back-to-back 12 minutes ago. Uh, By all appearances, the president's brazen and unprecedented appeal to China and to Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden is wrong and appalling. And that was the first one. Then his second tweet he followed on. He said, When the only American citizen President Trump singles out for China's investigation is his political opponent in the midst of a Democratic nomination process, it strains credulity to suggest that it is anything other than politically motivated. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. A Republican who's honest? That's, yeah, that's the, there's your first Republican. It's a pretty senator. strong statement. It's a very strong statement. Of course, Mitt Romney, you know, wants to he's run ready for to jump in the race. Yeah, he's this is this is Mitt Romney tossing his hat into the ring for uh, six years from now, <laughs> or five and a half years from now. I, you know, I'm convinced. But uh, you know, so th- that's going on. And and there's another piece of interesting news out that I just wanted to mention real quick. We we uh, I did this story on this program uh, ex- at some length a couple of weeks ago. Um, in fact, it seems like now it's almost been a month. That, or maybe even a little longer, that there was a the the first whistleblower uh, had got virtually no attention, and 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 it wasn't the intelligence service whistleblower; it was the treasury whistleblower, somebody who works at the IRS. And this whistleblower said that somebody is messing with the president's tax returns, the IRS, uh, in a way to basically conceal information or modify information. I mean, we just don't know. And Richard Neal is the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. There is black letter law, actual law that says, and this was passed back in the 1920s, 
uh, around Teapot Dome scandal, that the president may see, excuse me, that the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, that one person, nobody in the Senate, nobody else in the House, the one, because House Ways and Means is what basically controls the money in the House, that the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee has the legal right, simply upon request, to see any, any, any of the president's tax returns for as long as he wants. All he has to do is request, and the IRS shall deliver them to that person. Now, it doesn't give him the right to publicize them, but it does give him the right to examine them. Richard Neal is the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. Um, he has subpoenaed those tax records. Uh, Steve Mnuchin, the head of the Treasury Department, the Treasury Secretary, has said, no, we're not going to do it. The IRS commissioner, he used to be one of Trump's uh, tax lawyers, has said, no, we ain't going to do it and in, in, in naked violation of the law. And, and, uh, but Richard Neal, the Democratic chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, has not been yelling and screaming the way that Adam Schiff has over in intelligence and, and, and kind of highlighting this fact. Well, this apparently has got the whistleblower so angry, so upset, so freaked out that the whistleblower has now gotten in touch with the Washington Post and is leaking this stuff to the Washington Post. And, uh, you know, the, and the Washington Post is now, uh, you know, talking about this. It's, in fact, from the Post, uh, he filed a formal complaint, sent it to the tax committee chairs in both houses of Congress, including Chuck Grassley, and to the Treasury Department Inspector General for Tax Administration. And this was on July 29th. Now, he's not talking about the substance of the complaint with the Washington Post. That would be a crime. But he is trying to highlight the complaint itself. That, that, he would become a leaker if he did that. So far, he's just a whistleblower. But, you know, keep an eye on this space. So, you know, we'll see where, where all, all of this goes. So, uh, you know, a lot going on. It's, it's, just, it's just amazing. I want, I, I, I want, we, well, we have a mem member of the audience. We, we're here in, a, in Chicago with a, a live studio audience, as it were, and uh, we have a roving microphone if people have individual questions for me or for any of the members of the panel or for all four of us. Um, go for it, sir. Uh, yeah, tell tell I, us your name and where you're from, or at least your uh, first name. Carl, Carl Gabay, and I'm actually with the Illinois Retired Teachers Association. But Good on you. <laughs> I've been, I think we've all been very frustrated in watching the hearings, you know, and, and you're right about these things being turned into a circus. Now, what can we effectively do, or can something be done to punish these characters who don't even show up for the hearings? I can't imagine if Hillary Clinton had defied the Republicans when she had to answer, you know, had to go there 11 hours to answer questions about her emails. I mean, this is something that's very, very frustrating, I think, to all of us, the fact that there's such defiance there that something's got to be done to punish these characters, to put them into place. There are, um, I'll, I'll answer this, and then if any of you guys want to jump in, just let me know. Um, there are basically three kinds of contempt that, the, that Congress can use against uh, a, a recalcitrant witness. Um, the first is, is what is typically done, and that's civil contempt. And that's basically where Congress sues the person who doesn't show up. That then goes into the, into the court system, directly into the, into the federal court system. And um, in fact, speaking of Hillary Clinton, um, during the Obama administration, his attorney general um, refused to testify before Congress. He, he showed up, but there were some, some things that he would not testify to. Uh, the Republicans sued him. 
And, and that case was not, the, the final adjudication of that case didn't happen until after Donald Trump was sworn in. So that can take several years. Um, the second way that they can do it is with criminal contempt. It, with criminal contempt, they would say, okay, what you, you are in contempt of Congress in a way that constitutes a crime. And the problem with criminal contempt is that the criminal, um, uh, what's the word, Lou, the criminal uh, uh, complaint? The, the indictment? In, well, the, the, uh, the, yeah, it has to be retur- referred to Bill Barr, right? The, to the Attorney to, General? Yeah, to the Attorney General. So that criminal complaint has to be referred to the, attorney, to the Department of Justice, which prosecutes people. And Bill Barr has made it fairly clear that he ain't doing nothing. So uh, criminal contempt could you know, also be slow. And then there's this third one called inherent contempt, which is what the House of Representatives used from the founding of the Republic up until around the 1920s. And with inherent contempt, the House can have the uh, sergeant at arms of the House actually you know, frog march somebody into, uh, they've used committee rooms, they've used meeting rooms, they, they used to have a, a sort of a jail cell in the basement, right now it's where Lincoln's Hearst is stored. Um, but it's been so long since that's happened, and it was never challenged when it happened in the past, so it's never been adjudicated, it's never been brought before the Supreme Court to determine if this is the proper mechanism. And there's a lot of doubt whether the House will use inherent contempt or whether trying to do that will just tie it up again. So, you know, in the past, you know, like when when the Supreme Court, and this is where it's going to get real interesting, the Supreme Court said to Richard Nixon, Nixon said, I'm not going to turn over the tapes, right? Uh, uh, It wasn't John Dean, uh, what was it, Richard Kleindienst, I think, said there's this tape system, and and, uh, uh, Congress subpoenaed the tapes, and Nixon said no. And so they kicked it immediately to the Supreme Court, as a civil uh, lawsuit, and the Supreme Court immediately said, Nixon, you got to turn them over. Now, you got people like Roger Stone, who is saying today, had Nixon simply burned the tapes, he would have been good. And that was an option that Nixon had. I mean, it would have been illegal, but... Um, so we'll see if... Yeah, Nixon actually still had some honor. He still had some respect for our system. I don't think that's the case with Trump. So that's my take on the options. We'll get everybody else's when we come back. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We're live from Chicago at uh, the uh, Smart 265 Union. Want to comment on this? I'll defer to Lou. Lou, you're the lawyer. Yeah, we'll defer to Lou. <laughs> I think you did a pretty good job explaining the law. I mean, it's an obstruction of justice, basically, type of a criminal prosecution. <laughs> but criminal contempt has it has its pitfalls, and the civil contempt, I would think, would be a waste of time. I mean, I think the criminal contempt is a better route to go. I'm not a criminal lawyer, though. But, I mean, if you've got a a lawful subpoena and you're commanded to show up and you don't show up, you're going to be subject to a contempt, an obstruction under a contempt proceeding. What are the penalties for contempt? Well, if it's civil, they can, uh, it's, it's a fine. In a civil case, they can just require you to do it. They can require you to, to um, say what they need to say, with, 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 provide the documentation that they were demanding or give the testimony, or uh, there's money damages, which means nothing to these people. It's, it's a criminal one because it will basically put you in jail until you're ready to testify. Right. And that happens with people all the time. I mean, we hear about those types of situations where somebody's underling doesn't want to testify against a, a higher up, so they put them in jail until they're willing to talk. And there's people that have sat in jail for two years, not for committing a crime, but for refusing to obey a subpoena. I remember during the Clinton impeachment hearings that they wanted to get Susan McDougall, who was part of the Whitewater investment plan where they, everybody lost money. 
um, they wanted to bring her in and have her testify against Bill Clinton. And she, and she was given the questions in advance, and she said, these are loaded questions. They imply things that are not true. I am not going to respond to these questions. They threw her in jail, and she spent two years in prison. Why is it that she ended up in prison when, during the Clinton impeachment hearings, and Corey Lewandowski goes before Congress, flips them the bird, you know, bends over and moons them, and, and nothing happens? <laughs> Don't ask me because there's no legal reason for it. It's just it's a different it's a different generation. I think it's Bill Barr. Well, I think the attorney general during the during the Clinton impeachment was was actually willing to hold somebody accountable, even though he was a Democrat. And he was appointed by Clinton. I don't recall who it was, but uh, I think the attorney general was willing to proceed with an actual impeach an actual contempt here. Well, Bill Clinton wasn't one of those presidents that made it very well known, or even even secretly or out in the open, that I, there will be reprisals if you go against me in anything. I will ruin your career. I mean, Trump has made that very clear. So if you're Bill Barr, you know you're gonna you're gonna be replaced tomorrow. I mean. Right. I mean, Trump has no problem taking people out of his cabinet, right? I mean, Sessions. Oh, you, you're gonna, you're not, you're gonna recuse yourself on, on this Russian thing. You're gone. I mean, well, it wasn't. You're gone. I mean, you know, for months he was trashing his reputation. Yeah. He was trashing his parent. <laughs> He's hoping he would change his opinion and come back into the into the fold and 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 you know do what he was supposed to do. But yeah. you know, I'm sure Bill Barr. I mean, who's I don't. Know, I'm not gonna cast aspersions on the guy. People have well, I will. But in, 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 in. good. I set you up good. <laughs> In, in my in my new book, <laughs> shameless plug, and you have, uh, yeah, in my new book, the uh, hidden history of the Supreme Court and the betrayal of America. Turn to page one eighteen if you have a copy of the book, and you will find four pages about Bill Barr that I wrote a year and a half ago when I first started writing the book, and this is from nineteen ninety two. Bill Barr was the attorney general in nineteen ninety two for George Herbert Walker Bush. Lawrence Walsh was the special prosecutor on Iran-Contra. He had, he had nailed this thing. He had already gotten a guilty conviction. He had already convicted Casper Weinberger. He had already convicted Ali North. He had already convicted Elliot Abrams. He had three more people who were on the docket, and they were all looking at serious jail time. And the thing that Walsh had finally found was that, was that Bush, Bush Sr., the president, had a diary which was which had in it the proof that he was complicit in the Iran-Contra scam to hold the hostages back in 1980. Bill Barr recommended that he pardon all six of those people. He did. And Christmas Eve, 1992, the New York Times headline, screaming headline, you know, massive cover-up, you know, Lawrence Walsh claims cover-up. Bill Barr did that. He shut it down. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Hartman Cruise will be sailing in July of 2020. The seven-day Oceana Cruise will be going to Bermuda, and I'll be hosting onboard events about the topics of the day. More info at TomHartman.com or 800-856-1155.